All right, guys, welcome back to the show. I am happy to be with you as always. And it is that time of the year. It's the time when we're all heading out, gearing up, getting ready for hunts. Maybe we're coming back off hunts. Maybe you're driving out to a to a spot now. Um, you know, maybe you got a grand adventure coming up. You know, maybe you're just hunting right in your in your uh, backyard. But either way, I hope you guys are enjoying yourselves uh, and soaking it all in. Um, this week I have an awesome episode um, with a guy you may have heard of if you're familiar with outdoor TV at all. Uh, he's a producer and killer hunter named Jason Matzinger. He has a TV show on Sportsman Channel called Into High Country, and it's really one of my favorite shows on the the channel. Uh, one of my favorite shows on outdoor TV. Period. Um, he does a really good job. It's very well shot. Um, you know, he's a great hunter. Um, and, uh, we had a really cool conversation kind of about the industry and about some of the projects that he has, uh, is working on and has been working on. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, another quick update, you know, I, I've mentioned it before on here and, and we talk a little bit about it, um, on the sheep hunt that I had mentioned. So, um, you know, the other day, a few weeks ago, maybe, um, the guide that I was going to be sheep hunting with kind of called me up and said, Hey man, you know, just, I don't want to, I don't want to take your money and take you on a 10 day camping trip. He said, uh, you know, based on what we've seen this year, uh, there's just not enough legal Rams around. Um, so that trip got canceled. Um, so first of all, it was really cool of the guide to do that and just be honest and, and return my, you know, part of my deposit. So thanks for that. And, um, but you know, I was bummed for maybe 30 seconds, but then I realized, you know, I think this is a blessing in disguise. I'm still going to go to Alaska and do an adventure, but I'm going to do the plan is right now, some kind of DIY caribou hunt, um, which I think is, is maybe even better because, um, it's just going to be something I got to kind of try to pull off on my own, which is kind of my style and something that, you know, I'll learn a lot from and be able to share information with you guys. And it's probably a little bit more relatable of a hunt. So I'm looking forward to it. Still planning on going to Alaska in 2023. It's just not going to be that hunt. So I just want to give you guys that update. And, um, you know, something else I did want to say really quick, you know, I've had some, some guys on the podcast lately that are, polarizing figures, you know, um, emotions run high for whatever reason in the outdoor industry, especially it seems like, and, um, you know, there's certain guys that people identify with certain guys, people don't identify with some people just really can't stand certain hunters or this guy. And he said, she said, and all this stuff like that. I just want to say like, um, you know, my goal here is to have conversations with, interesting people and guys in the outdoor industry. Um, you know, just because I have someone on as a podcast guest does not mean that I condone every single thing that they do or agree with every single thing that they say or do. Um, there might be some guys I have on here that I don't agree with at all. Um, and, uh, you know, that's okay. I like the reason we have podcasts is to have real conversations and, you know, these days more and more, it's like, if you don't agree with someone or you don't agree with how they do things, they're evil or they're bad or they're ruining something. Um, and that's not the case. There's two sides of the story on everything. You know, um, you know, I'm not saying that I don't make mistakes or, you know, I'm not always right. Um, but like I said, um, I always try to produce or I try to always represent my podcast guests in a positive light. You know, we are all at the end of the day, we're hunters. We should, you know, be able to talk about how we hunt and how we choose to hunt. 
and um and not get so offended and mad with each other um you know people do things differently and and people are just different and that's okay and i think we should be able to talk about it i don't condone like i said everything everybody does that i have on here uh i just want to have conversations so anyway i just feel like i i needed to say that um and um you know so i hope you guys enjoy we'll continue listening um you know keep an open mind and if you hear somebody in the podcast you don't agree with that's fine you know you don't have to listen to that episode um you know <laughs> i'm not trying to convince you of one way being right or one being one way being wrong i'm just trying to have conversations so hope you guys enjoy um this episode with someone i don't think anybody really has much problem with at least you know i think he's a great guy jason matzinger um great tv personality and producer and i hope you enjoy this episode and you are enjoying hunting season and uh you know try to stay positive stay out of the drama and just uh enjoy what god has created for us so have a good one and we'll see you on the next one All right, guys, welcome to the show. This is your host, Hunter McWaters, and I'm joined today by Mr. Jason Matzinger. How you doing, brother? Good, good. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, thanks, man. And we were just talking, uh, I just decided to hit record, but we were just talking about your son just drew his first antelope tag this year, huh? Yeah, so that's out on the eastern part of the state here. He's actually, this is second year of applying for antelope, didn't draw last year, and so I was excited that he was able to draw this year. Nice man. Yeah, I drove, uh, I drove through um, Montana on my way back from Idaho for bear season, and um, that was like in I guess late May, and I already saw like a, a lot of like really decent looking bucks like already in late May. So oh good. Yeah. That's probably I was like driving and just dropping pins the whole way because I've been, you know, because <laughs> <laughs> I've been uh, trying to build up points. Um, so I've hunted antelope in Wyoming. I'm gonna do another one in Wyoming this year, but I'm hoping. I don't know how many points does it take. Well, you probably don't know since you're a resident, but I should have three antelope points for Montana next year. Is that enough to draw anything? You think? Yeah, I would think so, depending on which area you put in for. I mean, some areas are pretty tough, even as residents, to draw, but right. there's others that have pretty good odds. I would think with three points, you should be able to pull a tag somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not ashamed, or I'm not shy to hunt those uh, low-draw units. Um, actually, the, uh, the one we're going to this year, um, you know, I'm making a film about it, and kind of the premise of the film is like, we're going to a 0.100% draw Wyoming unit, and I'm going to show, Lord willing, that it can be done. <laughs> right on. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it can be. Wyoming's a good spot. It's uh, yeah. a lot of fun down there. I've not done like a zero-point draw area in Wyoming, but the area that I have hunted a couple of years has been super, I mean, just a blast. It's like dreamland when it comes to bow hunting antelope. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, especially if you're, if you're archery hunting, I mean, that cuts down on your pressure a lot. I mean, like this unit I'm going to, it's going to be tough. Be, just be, I mean, it's, it's a good antelope area and a big unit, but the public is fairly limited and there's a lot of pressure because there's limited, you know, public. So the sure. biggest issue is going to be access and pressure, but 
Yeah, I mean, um, if you go during archery season, that opens up even more opportunity. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, man. yeah also, we had a blast down there. Yeah, it's so fun. That This was uh, from last year. That was my first one. And that was just oh, a one sweet. that was a one point unit. So uh-huh. Yeah. But um yeah, man, I'm also headed out your way. I drew my first Montana deer tag, general deer tag this year. Oh, right on. You're one of the few non residents I've heard of doing oh, really good here. But yeah, it's been pretty pretty thin, I think, for a lot of my buddies anyway that I know of that applied for Montana. Okay. It's been pretty limited this year, so. Okay. Well, well, right on. Congratulations. Yeah, man. I'm I'm really looking forward to that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um you know, I wasn't really going to talk to you much about this, but while we're on the topic, just any high-level 30,000-foot advice for a first-timer coming out there to hunt that tag? What are you focusing on mule deer or white tail? Yeah. Or? Yeah, mule deer. Mule deer. Well, I mean, you know, I think first of all, just based on what I've seen with the amount of pressure the last few years, just getting away from roads is a big deal. You know, I mean, like that roadless layer from on X is always a good tool to kind of get into the area you want to hunt and sort of dissect it, break down the areas where you're, you know, probably going to encounter fewer people it's getting harder to get away from people generally speaking i mean we're getting so proficient at what we do um but i think you know that's the main thing it's just kind of don't get discouraged by the initial blast of people you may encounter in some areas um if you're willing to kind of dig in i think you can still find some pretty quality hunting opportunities yeah yeah, so I was thinking about heading, you know, kind of on the eastern side of the state. And, um, you know, I know water can be an issue in some of those areas. So kind of my 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 thinking now is to kind of, you know, go to a spot in my vehicle. Um, hopefully, you know, identify something decent with, like, e-scouting. And then kind of set up a base camp and then, you know, go in for maybe a night or two or something like that at a time and just see if I can get a little bit further in away from folks. Yeah. Yeah, I think you should do pretty good doing that. I mean, the thing about eastern Montana is, you know, there's nowhere big enough that in a couple of days you're not going to be able to just get through the country <laughs> to some other form of civilization. Yeah. So if you're willing to spend a couple of days out there, I mean, you'll be you'll be in the middle of it. So. Yeah. I'm sure you'll do just fine. Cool, man. Well, um, you know, I'm, um, interested in you just career wise and stuff like that. Um, you, you know, you've made a, a pretty or a very successful career, um, of what you do. We guys are in season like 13 now. Is that correct? Yep. Of your show? Yep. About, yeah, I think we're airing episode six right now of season 13 this week. Nice, man. So, um, so I'd love to just hear a little bit, I mean, you know, for the listeners, but also for myself, just a little bit of your background, but um, with focus on like how you, where you got this desire to get into, um, you know, content, well, they call it content creation now, but producing a TV show and, and the filming stuff and, and how you got your start. 
Well, I mean, really what started it for me was my dad and his, his friends filmed a lot of what they did. So mm. when I was little, um, I just remember them projecting the eight millimeter little two minute reels of film onto the wall that with no sound or anything. And the ones I remember specifically are like his Buffalo hunt in uh, South Dakota mm. and their caribou hunts in Quebec and, and then just like trips through Yellowstone where dad would film animals, bighorn sheep and elk and things like that. And, I think that's really what started it for me. And then just kind of continuing on, like he always had a camera and him and his best friend, George always took a lot of pride in their photography while they were out there mm. hunting, you know, way before <laughs> social media or really even any place to show it other than if you actually got to go to their house or whatever and look through the photo album. Right. But they before anybody I ever knew took a ton of pride in what they did. And um, as far as photographing and setting up like good trophy shots and wiping the blood off and making sure everything looked real nice for to present it. And they just did it for their own good at that point. But I think just some of those small steps along the way kind of help kind of plant that seed in my head as far as what it took to go out there and carry a camera and try to capture those moments the best you can and present it to people in a, in a kind of very classy high level sort of fashion. And so I think stuff like that started it and just being here in Bozeman and just our opportunities right around here. Um, at that point, Bozeman was pretty small town still and you know there was a lot of opportunity right around here just out our back door for a variety of wildlife so it was easy to kind of go out there and fall in love with bear hunting and fall in love with elk hunting and deer hunting and antelope and mountain lion and everything with the changing of the season so that's really what got it going for me and just kind of filming dad and his friends as I got older and still too young to hunt. And then when it was me and my friends, just trying to film what we were doing and there was no real goal in mind. I didn't think it was ever going to be a TV show. I just enjoyed doing it, like showing it to my friends. And, and before I knew it, I had this giant archive of just so much footage from kind of all over North America. And so it was easy to, you know, once the TV model was there and kind of an avenue to take, it was a lot easier for me to kind of find a home for this stuff since I had such a big archive. And from there, it just took people who believed in what I wanted to do, you know, and locally here in Bozeman, there was, enough outdoor companies and people in that space who, um, you know, made sense people, local friends of mine, like, um, you know, John Edwards with Schnee's boots and shoes mm -hmm. and the powder horn here in town or, um, Montana canvas. Those are friends of mine with the wall tents and, you know, 
a couple of those guys, Mystery Ranch. I mean, these were some of my first partners before I even had a show. I was just doing DVDs and selling them locally. And, yeah, you know, it just kind of built from there. And all of a sudden, TV, hunting TV really started to blow up. And it was more obtainable since video cameras to consumers became more affordable, you know, to be able to have broadcast quality and HD and quality sound. It was, it was affordable to the public for the first time, you know, around that time I was getting into filming, you could buy cameras that could do a pretty darn good job for, you know, a few thousand bucks versus having to be into it for 40 or 50,000. So all these things just kind of snowballed into getting an opportunity at TV and haven't really looked back since. So, yeah. So, um, were you kind of, I guess you started off really self-producing and filming a lot of it yourself and, um, and filming as well as hunting, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, really what I enjoyed doing was filming wildlife and filming close encounters and like, epic scenes you know i mean i i grew up watching not only my dad and his friends but marty stauffer and gordon eastman those were two of my idols Mm -hmm. and a big part of their films wasn't hunting it was just the wildlife itself documenting kind of their struggles and what they go through every year and right so really what started it for me wasn't only just capturing hunting but trying to capture wildlife and so I loved being behind the camera. I still do. It's just when the show started, it needed a host. And yeah. so, you know, I, there was a number of years where I was doing all the filming, but I would still have to get in front of the camera and talk yeah. to it and then get behind it and then film the hunt and then get in front of it. And I enjoy yeah. that. It just, to the scale things have grown. That's hard for me to do that all the time anymore as on the level that I want to capture this stuff. For sure. I mean, know? it's, it's so hard to focus on professionally capturing a hunt as it is. And then if you add on top of it, trying to get an animal on the ground and professionally capture it, it's really hard. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It is fun though. I'm, I'm always, I find, you know, halfway through the season when I ha- have somebody filming me, I'm always, when it's slow, kind of like jealous of them behind the lens back there, yeah, looking back, to do. wondering what shots they're getting, you know, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. And I'm just kind of twiddling my thumbs, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got a couple hunts this year where I like, um, hired some kind of young gun guys that are trying to get, you know, started and stuff like that, that, you know, on a, uh-huh. and, um, but I'm still going to bring a camera and, and, you know, and help just cause I want to, I just, it's just fun. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. I filmed all my spring stuff by myself this year and it was refreshing to kind of get back to doing it the way I used to. And I enjoy that time out there by myself. I really do. But, uh, yeah, like you're a big solo, are you a solo hunter? Like I, I've tried it. It's not for me. Like I'd rather just be with at least one other person. I know some guys love the solo thing. Do you like it? I do. I mean, I I don't think I would want to do it all the time by any means, but I really do like hunting by myself. I like that time. I think 
it's very productive, not only on the hunting front, but mentally, you know, it seems like I can get a lot of work done kind of like when it comes to thinking about projects or what I need to do when I get home with family and all that kind of stuff while I'm out there as well as, you know, I feel like I'm a a better hunter when I'm by myself. Yeah. All the time, but I can see that too. I mean, as you get more confident, um, in being out there and more comfortable with it, it would be a little more enjoyable. Um, but I'm interested. So like when you, when you started your, the TV show and you went for, you're doing kind of your own thing and doing DVDs and then it went to TV. Was that, I mean, I'm assuming it was a pretty formal process of like putting together probably a business plan. I'm probably getting some investment funds. Can you walk me through some of that? What that was like? Well, for me, it was pretty, and th- um, those are assumptions. I don't know. Yeah, for me, really, what ended up happening was um, when Schnee's and the Powderhorn was bought by their new owner, John Edwards, I became friends with John. And at the time, Schnee's was working with a few different hunting TV shows. And so I was able to sort of present to him what I had captured through the years. And the owner, the previous owner of the powder horn that he had bought here was my dad's best friend. So the powder horn was the store that I grew up in and had mm. bought all my first things, first bow and rifle and slingshot. And all my pictures of being little were like, and growing up hunting were in there. So it was kind of this easy fit because a lot of the film I had had was with my dad and his best friend, George, who had whose family had started the powder horn in like the forties, I believe 1940s. And, um, so it just made sense for them to want to sort of get behind what I was doing, be able to have a little more control over the messaging and everything. And then also include people in the show that have been a part of these companies since their existence, really you know, using schnees and, and getting outfitted out of the powder horn on in main street here in Bozeman. And so it was just kind of an easy fit. And at that time, John wanted to, you know, go after the TV stuff a little more aggressively. And so we just decided to partner. He would put his kind of stamp on the show and I would provide the content and do the editing and, you know, do, do all of that kind of work. And so to begin with, John sort of underwrote the show said, okay, I'll go sign the contract with the sportsman's channel. And as long as you promise me, you're going to, you know, do this show. And (laughs) so that's really where it started. And we hosted it together for a couple of years. And then, um, you know, he got so busy just doing things within his own company and structuring and things that I kind of took it on on my own. And, and they're still one of my biggest partners today. Um, nice. Schnee's boots. So yeah, I got, I got lucky just in kind of what I had and who I knew and the timing of everything and, and all of yeah. that really. So, yeah, man. So, um, you know, as far as like, you know, I think a lot of people, 
you know, get excited, like, oh, you know, I want to go film my hunts and stuff like that, and that's great, but as, as you know, like, where the magic really happens is in the edit and in the storytelling, um, and I think a lot of people just, <laughs> they come back with all this maybe even great footage, and then they realize the hours it's going to take to put together well, and maybe they kind of give up, so, I mean, what was that process like for you? Did you kind of learn that stuff on the fly? Do you, um, you know, do you really enjoy, enjoy that? Like for me, if I'm on a hunt, especially, um, you know, there's something when I start editing, it's just like, it's just the juices start going. I get addicted to it. Like I'm in the middle of putting together this antelope film right now that I'm going to release soon. And like, um, it's, yeah, it's like, I, like when I'm downstairs with the kids, I'm like thinking about like, Oh, I got to go finish the edit. Like, I just like, I have <laughs> to finish it. Like I'd like, I love right. it. So anyway, what's that like, what was that process and learning on that stuff? And like for you? Yeah. I mean, kind of the same thing. Like when I first started doing the DVDs, it was all self-taught. I mean, um, I had a couple companies here locally, like I said, Mystery Ranch, Montana Canvas, Schnees, that before it was a TV show, um, basically hooked me up with some gear, like got me a tent, got me a backpack, got me some boots, and I didn't want to let them down. So I knew I needed to create something. And at that time, I didn't know how to edit or anything. So at the time, I was working on Avid Express Pro, and it came with a set of dvds and i was able to just go through the first dvd like have the dvd play in here and have the computer set up here and just watch the first episode i don't know if i made it through all of it because i think that i got impatient and i probably got through like 10 out of the 15 and was like oh i pretty much know what i need to know now yeah. so at that point i knew enough just to kind of be dangerous and <laughs> took off editing and then yeah it wasn't that long later i got the chance to like chase the tv show and just went in and it was a disaster to begin with because <laughs> um that was at the exact time that i started airing that network tv was switching from standard definition mm. to high definition yeah and the the what was even more of a disaster was the ratio the format went from yeah. four by three to 16 by nine yep well most of what i collected leading up you know those 60 hunts or 80 hunts or whatever i had was all four by three but i had to transcode it and then reformat it wow and get it to all fit the HD stuff that I was now mixing in because I had now bought new camera gear. Cause that's what it needed to be on TV. Right. So I had all this four by three that was SD and all this 16 by nine that was HD and trying to combine it all. And I was completely green to everything. I mean, I didn't even know what the word transcode meant. I didn't <laughs> know what formatting was. I didn't know what, I didn't know any of that stuff. And so thank goodness that the sportsman's channel at the time was patient with me to the point where I remember the first episode, what I was doing too. I didn't even know how to export a file, like a link or an upload, any of that kind of stuff. My mind only knew tape. And so for <laughs> me to, to send my episodes in season one, I would have to, 
edit my show and then I would put it back in my little tape player thing here and I would record it back to the tape and then oh, I would wow. label the tape and then I would mail the tape to the network wow. and then the network would put it in and they would go through it. And thankfully they were so patient with me. I mean, I probably mailed in, I don't know, five or seven tapes before finally they were like, okay, this will work. We can make this work. And so I didn't really know what I was doing. I just kind of knew what made it work for that first episode. And then I kind of tried to just like emulate it throughout the season until mm -hmm. finally after like a couple of years of doing it, it like the light bulb sort of started to click what I was actually doing. And I, then I was able to not have to record it to a tape and yeah, you know, it was crazy. My, I, like I said, I was so green. I didn't do updates on any of my editing software. I didn't really understand how that would help. And so my software would fail all the time oh. to the point where the first couple of years when I was doing these exports, it would take hours to export it back Yeah, and it would fail a lot of the time. And when it would fail, it would sound this like obnoxious ding. <laughs> And so I would sleep on my office floor because normally I was so up against a deadline that if I went home and it failed, there's no way You're I would done. get it in on time. And yeah. then they would have to do a rerun and my ratings would go down. And cause like new episodes are really what drive your ratings, more new episodes, better your ratings. Cause people are recording new episodes versus like reruns and, so anyway, anytime you have to do a rerun, you don't typically get as good of numbers unless it's like Thanksgiving Day or something, yeah. you know, where people are sitting down watching TV. But um, yeah, so I remember sleeping here, just like almost one eye open, just, just hoping to God you don't hear that ding. <laughs> I didn't hear the ding. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Dude, so are you still pretty involved with your editing or is, is it uh are you more of like yep. a producer role kind of sitting over the shoulder kind of thing? No, actually, um, I hired somebody to help me for a few seasons, the outdoor media group with about half of the episodes. And since about three years ago, I've taken it completely back and just do oh, all wow. the editing again yeah. on my own. So that's, that's cool, a, man. And it's, I mean, it's so much more personal and it's hard to hand over a bunch of footage you care a lot about to somebody else because almost no matter how good it is you're gonna wish you could have done it different <laughs> oh sure there's just so much lost in the edit when yeah. you don't feel each clip and you weren't there to sort of know how that relates to other clips you know totally. and it's easy to sort of have a lot of emotion lost through the passing off of the, the process. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I enjoy it. It just, time is getting to be a big thing for me. Like, mm -hmm. you know, right now I've got uh, six episodes edited for the season and hunting season's about to start. And I have like five or six more I have to do, yeah. you know, uh, new ones are due basically second week of uh, September. So it's going to catch me real quick. Yeah. And, and like uh, editing something that you care about too, it's like you're never done. You just run out of time. 
Like, yeah. you could go through it a billion times and still be making tiny tweaks the whole way. Like, so it's just like totally. at some point you just have to be like, okay, I'm ha- I have to stop now. Like, you have to like give yourself a deadline. Yeah. So you I know what that's it's like. It's never done. It's just due. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, so and you mentioned earlier about like some companies like giving you gear and stuff like that, and like so that's something you know I'm still really on the very beginning of trying to you know build a career here and um you know i've i've been very selective about approaching potential companies to work with and stuff like that just because i know a lot of people are like um overly aggressive and obnoxious about it and like just (laughs) really turn off companies so i've been intentional about like waiting and stuff but i'm getting to a point where i'm starting to kind of like talk to a few people and put feelers out and stuff but um, did you find it hard in the beginning to make that bridge from like, oh, sure, yeah, we'll send you some gear and you can, you know, use it and whatever, to actually, yeah, here's a check. Like, was that a hard transition to make? And how did you kind of get through that? Well, I think for me, the TV show is really what separated that. You know, I mean, it's easy. It's easy to. Because, um, I mean, getting gears one thing but like it's all about impressions you know i mean it's all about numbers and the amount of eyeballs you can get on what you're doing mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't i mean i know super good hunters here in the valley that aren't on social media don't have a tv show nobody in the hunting industry community world knows who these people are and right. they're just they're people I look up to. And so, you know, you can be the best hunter out there, but if, um, you know, you don't have a way for people to see what you're doing, it doesn't make sense for companies or people to want to sort of promote their, what they're doing through your channels, you know? Mm -hmm. So for me, having a TV show, I mean, when I air an episode, I'll get, you know, on the low end, usually a couple hundred thousand views every time I drop a new episode and then it kind of trickles off. So I'll air four or five times a week with, I'll drop a new episode and then it'll rerun like four times throughout that week. And throughout that, you know, it might get a million plus views in a week. And then there's a new episode that gets that same thing. And it's a very focused audience. You know, the people that tune into the Sportsman's Channel or Outdoor Channel, they're tuning in for a reason. Mm -hmm. They're not just randomly scrolling through and then just really stopping and watching for any any amount of time. Whereas like, you know, YouTube or social media or other platforms, people can sort of stumble into what you're doing and watch it and you get that click, but they're not like a focused audience buyer or consumer or whatever so um for me being able to have that platform where i know i put something on tv and i'm gonna get a pile of views while i'm actually off working on something else is huge for me and that's where i was able to really make that transition from a guy that just wanted to chase this to a guy that was actually starting to make money 
for doing it, you know, mm-hmm. because I had this platform um, that was a guaranteed, you know, almost like a magazine subscription or something. It was a guarantee that I could turn around and tell these companies, well, I'm going to air from July 1st through the end of the year. I'm going to have at least 13 new episodes and they're going to rerun for 13 weeks and they're going to come on four times a week. And so I had this model that I could hand people and say, here's what I'm going to do guaranteed, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and so that was really that transition of just getting some free gear here and there to being able to sort of make a living at it. Yeah. And then from there, it's just, you know, it's been, I started with sportsman's channel and since then sportsman's channel has now done things like my outdoor TV, which is their online streaming app for all their shows for outdoor and sportsman's channel. And so, you know, now working with them, I'm on TV, but I'm also on this, my outdoor TV app, but they also are now streaming all shows on Amazon and Roku and prime or Mm -hmm. or, uh, Apple. And so people are finding the show all over. Um, So it just keeps spreading. I'm on sportsman's channel, Canada and carbon TV and waypoint TV and, you know, just a number of platforms. And so, like I said, when it written, it comes down to eyeballs and I can turn around and that, you know, doesn't include social media at all or YouTube. And I can turn around and say to these companies, you know, I can guarantee you this many sort of eyeballs every single month. That just as a snowball that sort of continues to grow basically. Through just longevity. Yeah. And you, you kind of mentioned like, you know, um, moving, you know, moving onto the app and carbon TV and stuff like that. And like, um, do you think like, how is the transition from like a high level as a producer, um, looking at this and looking at the industry and kind of being, um, in the time period you're in where things have really shifted or seem to be shifting a lot into digital from like a cable TV kind of platform. Um, how do you see that going or like, how's that been for you? Um, do you think, you know, young guys like me starting out should still consider looking at like a traditional TV route or is it going all digital or what do you think? It's a, it's a hard question to answer only because um, I think my show's still doing really well because of when I got into TV and being able to sort of build that up. I mean, but at the same time, I mean, my show is still the bread and butter of of what I do today. I've got the conservation films and the short films and working with the conservation organizations and stuff like that. But um, really the basis is the TV show and it's done nothing. Even with the growth of online and these other platforms, my show has done nothing but grow when it comes to numbers and my partnerships and things like that. So you know, there's definitely been this perception that 
maybe TV's lost some of its momentum, but I have never personally seen that. In fact, I've seen the opposite because so many people have went to online. And um, so there's a lot of value for the people that are still on TV. I mean, a, a big chunk of the, my partners want to work with me because I have that TV show um, for reasons like I listed before. It's a focused audience and it's a lot of numbers. I mean, you know, you got to work hard. I also have a YouTube channel and I also have Instagram and all of that kind of stuff. And like, you got to work really hard to get <laughs> yeah. 250,000 views on anything you do over a year period, let alone saying, well, I'm going to get that. I got that last night while I was eating tacos at my dad's house, <laughs> you know, seriously. Yeah. Yeah, and no. so um, TV, yeah, YouTube is super competitive, man. There's just so much out there. So for me, I just love the theory of like the more the merrier. I mean, I love YouTube. I love all the online platforms. I love being on in Canada. I love Amazon. Because what I've found is like, just when you think that you're just beating a dead horse or that everybody in the entire world has heard of what you're doing, you meet a guy that's like shoots at your local bow shop who has no idea what you're doing has never even heard of it at all. Yeah. And so I've found that, you know, being on all those platforms is strong, but for me, definitely like, man, TV is, is a big one for me. Um, for sure. I have that commercial time, those 30 second spots, you know, um, and I'm able to basically position my partners in those 30 second commercial slots that get a lot of eyeballs. And so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of value to TV in my opinion still. And I, I think it's just come back because online is so saturated. Um, it's hard to sort of find, you know, those right channels to keep you kind of seeing what you want to see. And so I feel like, TV has gotten a resurgence of support because of that. Yeah. So dang, that's interesting, man. Um, so, okay. You're, you know, your, your seasons are what? 13 episodes. Typically. Yeah. I mean, the, the style of hunting you're doing. So I don't have cable TV, just transparency. So, um, you know, I've watched some of your stuff on YouTube, but I haven't seen like a ton of like your full like seasons. Right. Sure. Um, mm -hmm. there's no way you're getting 12 tags a year or going on 12 trips. I don't think, are you able to like, let's say you got a big trip to, and maybe I'm wrong, but maybe you got a big like elk hunt. Are you able to get two, three episodes out of that? Sometimes I'll get two episodes out of a hunt. Yeah. Um, so how are you able to do that many episodes? Well, like, I'm just thinking like this season, um, you know, I start off with my archery Montana elk hunt, then I do archery antelope in Montana. Then I hunted Oklahoma for whitetails last year and you're able to shoot two bucks. So that was two episodes. Then I shot my Montana mule deer. Um, then I hosted some buddies out here in Montana that came out from Ohio that both got a couple of deer. 
Then I do my spring, spring bear hunt every year. I hunted Texas this spring for Havelina, Audad, and Axis. Um, oh, my son shot a really nice buck in Oklahoma this year, a whitetail that's going to be, uh, that was a hunt with my dad my boy and I. Then I usually do like a looking back episode, okay. like a best of mm-hmm. 2021. Yeah, I, watched, I watched the best of 2020. Of that was cool with the helicopter hunt. Oh yeah, right on. And then I'm trying to think what I'm leaving on the table. Like this year I'm doing a, my dad's buddy that I've referenced several times, George, he passed away this year. And so I'm doing a tribute to him as an episode with a bunch of just older footage and newer footage I have of him through the years, just cool. doing a whole tribute to him. And um, yeah, typically I'll have like my spring turkey hunt. And, you know. So you're just doing a lot I've, of hunts. <laughs> a lot, yeah. So, okay, yeah. which leads me to my next question. Well, first of all, real quick, are they still, is it still like a time buy thing for those channels, the yeah. TV channels? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, okay, I'm already, so I got, I only have, let's see, I got four trips. Yeah. I got four trips, four out of state trips. It's a little, a little bit more logistic heavy for me coming from Virginia, but I got four out of state trips planned this year. Um, not including spring bear. So probably five. Um, and I'm like, you know, I'm already kind of starting to feel the pressure a little bit. I mean, it's going to be like, you know, bang, 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 gone two weeks, home two weeks, gone two weeks, home two weeks, gone two weeks, home two weeks. Uh, and I got a young family and, and stuff like that. And, um, how are you able to balance family, but also, um, how are you able to keep it? Cause especially with, with a, uh, you know, traditional TV contract, you, you have a contract to, you have to <laughs> deliver a certain amount of episodes, like right. how how do you balance the pressure of that and still enjoy it? <laughs> well, I think I've just um like well, what if you have a bad year and you feel like one tag? Like are you just screwed? <laughs> no, I well, it wouldn't be good. <laughs> um but I think I did a good job of letting my viewers down enough in the beginning. They don't expect much from me these <laughs> days. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, I just have never taken it as pressure. I mean, I got into it because I love what I do. And I've always decided that I would stick true to my hunting in the way that I've always done it. And so I've never felt pressure to kill an animal. And I've always believed that, you know, if you put your time in, and you're persistent, things will come together, you know? And so I've always, unless it gets me like super excited, I don't take the animal. And I found that people appreciate that more than a guy that shoots a buck that they can tell he's not happy with. And then he tries to turn on the stoke factor just because he's trying to make a video to impress people. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, people can see through that. I say, I think people these days from what I've seen would rather see the guy that was like, man, I mean, for me, for example, now this is my opinion, obviously, and I don't fault anybody for doing it any way they want to, but how I've been able to still just thoroughly enjoy what I do is just sticking to 
hunting for me and nobody else, no matter what's on the line. And so like this spring bear season, I saw 29 bears, three of them in my mind were shooters. One of them I became slightly obsessed with, but I found (laughs) him really late and I just was never able to catch up with him. But I had like, you know, a lot of encounters with Grizz and I found a big set of moose paddles. And I think that people would rather be like, wow, I would like to watch the show of the guy that saw 29 bears and like had this awesome experience and didn't get one versus another show of a guy that goes out and shoots the first bear he sees and that's really all you see. You don't mm-hmm. you don't learn about the animal. You don't learn about the country. You don't learn about, you know, what's it take to find a quality one? How are you? you know, just all of that stuff. And yeah. so in my mind, I think just hunting for me and what makes me happy and then creating a show around that has been the key to sort of staying happy and mm. kind of successful and never being like, Oh, I told him I was going to kill at least a 150 this year. So I better kill a 150 or this season's just not going to work out well. And I just would, you know, that's, that's a losing proposition. And so, yeah, I've just, I always told myself from the get go, I was never going to shoot an animal to make a TV show. Like if it didn't get me so stoked, I wasn't going to do it. So I just hunt and hunt and hunt until I see that animal or, spot it where i'm just like so excited and jittery i'm not sure whether to like grab my bow or grab the camera or you know you just kind of get (laughs) flustered and i'm like okay this is good this is what i'm after yeah luckily for me at this point that feeling comes with way smaller animals (laughs) (laughs) well it's interesting because i i have been you know, kind of at this crossroads where like, yeah, I've been doing it now for 13 seasons professionally, but I've also been hunting, you know, for geez, at least that long before that, that wasn't on camera or wasn't what you would say professionally. I hunted just because I hunted. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, you know, I've probably killed, not counting, but somewhere between, I would say 25 and 30 black bears. And so when it comes to black bear hunting, I love it. I freaking love black bear hunting. I love the pursuit. I love that time of year. I love the challenge, but it's hard for me to find a bear after taking that many bears that like gets me amped to where I just want to like, you know, run up there and kill it. So, but I also host a television show. So it is an interesting dynamic at this point where I'm at with some animals you know, where I'm like, man, I love what I do on both aspects. I love bear hunting and I love creating a TV show, but I'm at a point now where I just don't feel the need to go kill every bear. I see. Yeah. Right. Like when I was younger, you know, you go through this progression as a hunter and yeah. Can you think of so, a, like, I'm just interested. Can you think of like a specific time, like a really specific time where, um, you kind of found yourself out of crossroads of, pure hunter versus knowing that you have a show to deliver or you know something like that and like you had to make a choice it's a tough question not no not really i mean i feel like everything either falls into my lap 
and it's just obvious that this one is a gift to me or, <laughs> uh, or it doesn't. Um, because, you know, if I'm sitting there having to talk myself into it, like, well, he looks good from that angle, but when he turns, he does as big, but that, you know, if I'm sitting there doing that, like, yeah. I'm like, okay, that's not the one, Yeah, you know? It's got to be like you see it and you're like, yep, I want to shoot that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Which kind of leads me yeah. to, um, I want to talk a little bit. But it isn't always a big one too. Like to back yeah. up just a little bit, it's not always a big one. Like it's just, it, it, it's the moment, it's the experience, it's For the sure. build up, it's the hunt, it's, it's all the things that go into it. It's not always size. hundred um, percent. Like my landlock bull, uh, project landlock that we filmed. I mean, that bull was the smallest bull I've ever taken in my life. I shot him. That's the one that had that like last weird year. antler coming out, like the front of yeah. his forehead. Yeah. Um, yeah, that thing was cool. And he just I like just, walked across the, like just yeah, straight was at just you. Like I, I was <laughs> like, this has never happened. When he first came out, I was like, oh, he's not very big. And then he walked right into my lap, let me draw on him in plain view stop broadside at whatever seven ten yards and at that point i'm just like that's when i'm like this is a gift like i yeah this is the one you know and i don't it just becomes that moment in the moment it's nothing yeah that you can sort of premeditate so for sure like this and this is not like a tiny black this is sick of black tail it's oh, yeah. not like a tiny one, but like at the same time, like it was the last morning we hadn't seen a buck in like four days and my buddy spotted two of them right next to each other last morning and we shot both of them within 30 seconds of each other. Like boom, boom. <laughs> and like, yeah. I, if he was a spike, I still would have been happy. I still would have taken <laughs> right. him because it was just the, this beautiful morning. It was the last morning. We've been busting our butts for four days. And then, like I said, it was like this gift. And his was actually the 11th biggest Kodiak blacktail ever taken on record. Um, so it made mine look even smaller. But I don't care. This thing is still like a trophy to me, man. Oh, yeah. You know, so. Heck yeah, exactly. Yeah, you um, don't know how it's going to work, but. For sure. Well, that's cool. Well, that that kind of leads really naturally into, um, you know, what I wanted to talk to you about a little bit, too um was uh your sheep hunt i know you just got back um and you it was a big film project as well i think and um yep. and kind of had one of these moments we're talking about like i read your social media posts about it and everything so um i don't know are you are you trying to want to are you wanting to try to save that story or can you give us the short version or yeah i mean basically the film that we're working on um, is about the history of trophy hunting and it's titled selective. Mm. And I sort of had this concept starting in 2018 when I planned this hunt and then it's been postponed for two years because I couldn't get into Canada. Yeah. Was able to get in this year and do the hunt. Um, Did you have to so get a vax? Five, yeah. Yeah. It's been five years in the making to try to even get it up there. And, um, so it's been a big buildup, but through that process, we've been able to capture some amazing backstory. I mean, we've been to Springfield, Missouri, to the wonders of wildlife museum. We got invited to the 150th anniversary of the Boone and Crockett club. 
So oh, we were cool. able to go in with the panel scores and actually film them doing a lot of the documenting of these trophies and things. So for the last few years, we've been documenting this story of trophy hunting, basically. And this hunt was the quintessential sort of trophy hunt. You know, you're, you're spending money, you're flying up north, you're using airplanes, helicopters, you've got, you know, a compound bow and in reach, all the latest technology, you know, you, you, you can't justify that you're there to get cheap meat. You know, I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah. you're there yeah, it's expensive because you want to hunt cheap, yeah. you know? And so versus beat around the bush, I sort of wanted to tackle the subject right on because I just don't think, you know, we've ever come out as a whole in the hunting community with a super detailed backstory film on the mm. whole history of this. So this hunt starts or this whole story starts with the national collection of heads and horns in the Bronx museum. And, you know, way back when Theodore Roosevelt first started, um, this concept basically, and, and, and others as well. He's just one of the more well-known ones, but it's just a fascinating story that started with a taxidermy collection mm -hmm. from all over the world that basically ignited the fear in people to want to conserve animals. Hmm. And, so just to, yeah, to jump just in to, really quick, have you been to the Smithsonian Museum of Natural History in DC? Uh nope. I was at the one in uh well I guess maybe it's not a Smithsonian, but it's Chicago. Okay. We ever um, make it out of the East Coast, man, that's where I'm at. You can come crash at my house, but it's right near where I live. It is I mean, it's just basically a giant taxidermy museum of like everything. It's crazy. Yeah, that would that would be a good one to visit for sure. Cause we're trying to document as many like trophy displays or ways to sort of honor the animal as we can. Yeah. Everything you guys, from you should check out the Smithsonian the wall to museum displays, you know? So yeah, for sure. Um, we got the wonders of wildlife in Springfield is probably a smaller scale of the Smithsonian, but it is yeah. all, same thing, just a giant taxidermy collection start to finish. And it's all teaching you how hunting is conservation. So it's mm -hmm. a really cool deal they have going there. But anyway, the, the sheep hunt is a thread within that because it is a trophy hunt. And so, but we're showing through that how beautiful a process trophy hunting is, selective harvest, only yeah. taking the oldest ones and why that's important and, and why those hunter dollars you know, for these, these animals is important to their conservation and that whole big story, big story. So basically I ended up killing this ram on day nine of 10 of the hunt Oof. at 10 to 10 at, at night. Cause you can hunt all day long. It's yeah. light. Um, so definitely starting to feel the pressure. <laughs> um, I bow hunted up until that time and then decided to take the ram with the rifle, get yeah. right in the hunt. And, uh, but through that process, you know, passed on some younger rams, snuck right up on them in their bed. Um, like full curl, six-year-old ram at three yards right below me. And in the Northwest Territories, they only have to be three quarter curl, I believe, or, oh, really? you know, so this Ram was totally legal 
yeah but a young ram and especially in sheep you want to take those older animals it's super vital to their you know continuation is Mm -hmm. not taking those breeder rams even though they may be bigger or prettier or whatever so our goal is to take a super old ram which we did we took a 12 year old oh wow and um he was just a beat up old dude and perfect for what we were wanting and it was just an epic hunt and uh just something i wish i could do every year that that style of hunting definitely helps redefine what you're capable of as a human and kind of opens your eyes as to maybe things you've been leaving on the table in other hunts back home yeah what so what what makes that hunt so unique and like um, I don't know. We had a little interaction on social media about, you know, like I was saying, like, you know, most people only get to take one sheep, usually like one sheep hunt in their life, if at all. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the, you know, the, the thought of passing a legal ram easily in range is, um, is in my opinion, you know, take some discipline and, um, but anyway, I, like some people I've said before in the show, I actually have a sheep hunt in 23 that I was blessed to be able to book, um, so yeah, I mean like what yeah, um up in the Alaska range. And um I don't know what what makes it like a unique hunt like or um I don't know just what should I be expecting? <laughs> well, like your to your point, I mean most people will only get one sheep hunt. That'll likely be the only doll sheep hunt I'll ever go on. Um, I've been fortunate enough to draw bighorn sheep at two bighorn sheep tags here in Montana, but I'm super lucky to have been able to do that. But yeah, most people get one sheep hunt in their life, if that, and, um, you know, I think it has to do with where you're hunting. You know, I think the conversation you're referring to the NWT where I was at, it's like the dreamland for doll sheep. And with the, you know, there's a handful of outfitters up there who are really focusing on those older rams. And so you don't really even start to look at killing a ram unless he's like nine plus at the very youngest. They like him to even be 10, mm. you know. And that's just because like when I was talking to Glenda Grote, the outfitter I was hunting with up there, we did an interview with her for the film and she made a good point. Like you may have a, you know, an eight or a seven or eight year old ram on the hill that's legal and he's beautiful and he may be bigger than the 12 year old. But if you kill that eight year old, you might as well have taken two sheep off the mountain because that 12 year old's going to die too. Mm-hmm. And there just aren't that many there just aren't that many sheep. So like I said, leaving those breeder rams when they're healthy and taking those older sheep is super critical. And, and that age range varies from district to district age, you know, uh, sheep herd to sheep herd. I mean, you know, there's areas where you're hunting bighorn sheep where you're not wanting to take them unless they're 10 plus where I hunted in the breaks. It's hard to find a ram that's 10 years old. Plus, I mean, they just, they get really big at six and then they have a shorter lifespan. Um, So, so, you know, I think when based on 
that, you know, I think when you're looking at the Northwest Territories, they do have um, a good population of dull sheep up there, and they do really focus on that older age class, where Alaska um, or other regions might not have as many older age class rams like that. So for you, you know, you might be looking at anything eight and up might be in that range where you're hunting, but yeah. Well, yeah, it raises I mean, an interesting... it's just like anything. It's it, a trophy's different to everybody, you know. Right. And at the end of the day, the outfitters really lean on you to take these older age class animals, and it's best for the wildlife. But you know, everybody has something different there up there to try to try to do. Yeah. You know. So. Well, that raises an interesting question too, because you know, the film's about trophy hunting, uh, but you just said, you know it kind of depends on what your idea of a trophy is because an older Ram is harder to find maybe, but you know, someone was really into it for like trophy hunting in the negative way that some people spin it. Um, they might be looking for that younger breeder Ram that's actually bigger and more in the prime of its life. Right. Is that a question sure. you guys kind of address in the film? Oh yeah. Yeah, because it wouldn't be really fair to talk about the subject without talking about the negatives that do come with trophy hunting and yeah. some of the personalities that follow. Um, <laughs> it's just the nature of the beast, so we definitely have to address it, but it's not the example we want to lead by, I guess. Yeah. You know, and So, so you're, you're, you would say like that really the, the more trophy is the older ram, even though he's maybe not as big or strong as that younger eight nine-year-old yeah and with sheep it's really important you know you can get away with not taking the matriarch every single time when you're hunting white tails you know white tails are still going to thrive and survive and the herd right. is probably still going to do just fine for the most part you might see some of that age or size quality dip a little if you're always just taking that middle sized deer but you know, with sheep, it's just important. And and the other reason that we used sheep as an example is they're one of the only animals that wears their age right there on the side of their head. Mm -hmm. You know, you can actually see how old that sheep is. If you're able to examine him, you can get close within a few years, like a couple years. Yeah. You should be able to get pretty close as to how old that ram is. Um other animals, you can't do that. Like t take moose or elk or something, you know, a three and a half year old or even a four year old, they can grow a pretty massive set of antlers that mm -hmm. unless you're really breaking down body size, have an older one to compare to when it comes to body size, looking at all these other factors, you know, they can have these massive antlers that would make the record books at a pretty young age. Yeah. You know, sheep for the most part, it takes age and it takes, you know, it, it takes longevity on earth. And just the fact that you can actually see their, their whole life story and their age right on their horn is an animal that we thought was a, a great animal to use as the, as sort of the quintessential trophy hunt. And, but we, you know, we definitely want to talk about, you know, there's nothing wrong with taking those bigger sized yeah, animals. Sure. It's just, it's just when it comes to sheep, if that's all we focused on with sheep, 
it wouldn't be good for the herd. And so when it comes to trophy hunting, we're definitely trophy hunting when we're sheep hunting. But that doesn't always just mean we're there to just get one bigger than the guy next to us on the mountain for bragging rights. You know, trophy is defined in so many ways. And that's what we want this film to really. For sure. Sort of debunk that theory. Well, for me, any legal ram would be a trophy, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, and they are. I mean, they're magnificent yeah. animals. Yeah, it's ever since incredible. the first time I went to Alaska, I was like, I have to hunt this animal one day, and it's not getting any cheaper or any easier, so it's better just to have one day be closer than later. <laughs> you know? That's that's exactly why I did it. I was like, I want, I know I want to do it and it's never going to get easier. So yep. I might as well just jump on it. And that's yep. what I did for sure, man. So. Well, I know you're busy and I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but, um, I don't know. Just last question. You got any, any advice for uh, a young guy like me trying to kind of break in, um, and make a career out of this thing? Well, I think, you know, I would say just, like I said, just do it for the reasons that mean something to you and, and then figure out how to build around that rather than trying to chase something that you think people want to see or the way you think it needs to be done because of the way you've seen other people be successful doing it. Mm. I think as long as you, you know, just do it for the reasons that mean something to you in your heart and, and build the format around that, I don't really see how you can fail. And, you know, under promise and over deliver is always a great, yeah. great, uh, format to have too. Absolutely. People are always stoked with that. And I don't think you can go wrong with those two things. Treat people how you want to be treated. Those are kind of, that's kind of what I live by. Yeah. Well, that's so. good, man. Well, yeah, dude, I, uh, I really appreciate your time and where can people check out the show or your films or that kind of stuff if they want to see your stuff? Well, uh, sportsman's channel, we're on every Monday night from now until the new year. Basically we come on at seven thirty mountain time. Um, and then we rerun four times or five times throughout the week. I'm not sure of those, but you can find us, you know, at the search into high country is the tv show name and then from there yeah if you have amazon prime or roku carbon tv waypoint my outdoor tv the show can be found on there as well as a number of the conservation films Sweet. if you're in canada sportsman's channel canada and then online my platforms uh facebook and instagram or just jason matzinger official Sweet. so that's really the main places Awesome, man. Well, thanks again for your time. I really enjoyed uh, our conversation. Likewise. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, man. Best of luck with everything. (laughs) I appreciate it.